Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Well, I'm excited about us uh, as we get into our last message on the kingdom of God. We're, uh, uh, we're going to go ahead and take the offering now as I share a few things uh, before I get into the message. So if the guys will come for that, um, we forgot it earlier. And the staff is eager to get paid this week. So <laughs> um, we... Um, Here's, here's, as we're taking up the offering, it's appropriate I share about this, um, and that you are always been faithful to give to our uh, faith mission offering, and it allows us to do quite a bit, of, uh, quite a bit and in response to things, and, uh, and that's why we don't do special offerings, because you're already giving, um, and concerning uh, the Hurricane Ian, um, they... Um, we have already sent uh, a significant gift on your behalf from the offerings that you have given uh, that goes directly to the Baptist uh, Relief and Disaster Relief, which, by the way, is the third largest relief organization in the United States. And, uh, and it delivers help in the name of Christ. And, and we're able to do this because of your faithful giving. And 100% of what you give goes to local, national, and international mission opportunities and disaster relief. So I'm thankful for your uh, faithfulness in that. Um, I was talking to one of our former staff members who's a pastor now uh, in Florida, and his, his church was right in the direct path of the of the hurricane, and um, and so he and I, I've been talking with him, encouraging him, because they're in the they're in the middle of a mess, a huge mess, and um, his church is actually used as the that um, disaster relief center. They're 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 doing ten thousand meals a day. Imagine that, and you're helping to pay for that. Um, and they, um, as we were talking, he says, you know, his church was untouched, which allowed them to be right in the center of everything. But he was sharing with me about some of our fellow pastors. Uh, one pastor who was out on one of the islands, his church just literally is gone and nothing left. It just swept out to sea. And he says he, doesn't, he knows a lot of his members were killed uh, and he doesn't know where the ones that are alive are because everybody's been dispersed. And so not only did he lose his church building, he lost his church, you know, the people. And they're uh, stuff that you're not hearing in the news that David was sharing with me. He said, you know, the reality is we don't know how many people have died from this. We know over a hundred that we've recovered their bodies, but a lot of people were washed out to, out into the ocean or into the Gulf, and uh, we have no way of knowing about those people. They're still discovering things, and and we need to pray. He he said, you know, do pray for our our team. Uh, he has a lot of men in his church that have those airboats, and they've been going around just collecting bodies. And so the, the emotional struggle that's on those individuals dealing with that kind of stuff. Um, so we do need, it, it's easy for us to forget about it because we weren't affected and we were up here and every, we're getting, getting on with life. But they're gonna spend years, literally years recovering from this. 
And so we need to pray for the churches, the pastors that were affected. Uh, we need to pray for the individuals who don't know Jesus that were affected. Um, <clears throat> so as you think about it, do pray and um, pray specifically that uh, lives will be touched. Um, we do have it set up that when David, right now they're all, almost overwhelmed with the number of disaster relief workers, but that's going to wane at some point where they really do need people and there's nobody to come. And, and that's probably when we'll send some people from our church and we'll let you know about that when those opportunities come. So I just wanted to keep you up on that. Now, we've been talking about the kingdom of God. Today, uh, this is something that's dear to my heart, and, and I thought it was appropriate to talk about the kingdom of God in terms of our precious children. Um, as parents, we've been giving, given a heavy responsibility of raising children. I mean, we have a responsibility for another soul, a uh, human being, and it's a weighty concern for us. It's something that weighs on you as a parent, also as a grandparent. Uh, it's just always in front of us. And so one of the major dominant concerns that we have as parents, and you know, this is, goes across the boundaries of even Christian parents. So a, a Muslim parent would feel this way. And that is, will my child, with my, will my child follow my faith? And so as Christians, of course, we think about that. Will my children follow my faith? Will my grandchildren follow my faith? Will they be saved? Will they go to heaven? Uh, I mean, that's a, that's a serious weight to carry to think about the salvation of someone you love so dearly. And in the Gospel of Luke, and this is actually recorded in two of the other Gospels and the exact same incidents, but they each give a little different angle on it. So it's, uh, uh, what I'm going to present today is kind of like combining all three together to get the full picture of what's happening. There's uh, In these three short verses, there's a huge, massive statement made by Jesus. And... I don't want to overlook this. So I, I, I want us to delve into this because I think it's so important to know this. So let's just read the passage and then we'll begin to talk through it. Luke 18. One day, some parents brought their little children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. When the disciples, but when the disciples saw this, they scolded the parents. Those guys are always on top of things, aren't they? <laughs> oh my goodness. They scolded the parents for bothering Jesus. Oh my goodness. Sometimes those guys were just absolutely clueless, weren't they? Then Jesus called for the children, and then he just said to his disciples, let the children come to me. So that was a positive statement. Don't stop them. That's a negative statement. And, and actually, it was very emphatic in how he said that. He said, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. And that's a very important phrase right there. 
I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. And Jesus, in, in just two statements right there, he said so much. And that's why we're going to close out this series talking about the kingdom of God from the perspective of our precious children. So twice in this verse, he makes reference to the kingdom of God. And, uh, and this, this actually fits in the whole discussion uh, of Luke's gospel, uh, this emphasis that Jesus had on the kingdom of God. In fact, in chapter 17, uh, the Pharisees asked Jesus in verse 20, uh, they, they came and asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? Of course, they're thinking physical, and they're thinking uh, setting up an, a physical kingdom. And then Jesus said, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. Hmm. That's an that's a unusual statement there. So this entire section in Luke, in these two chapters, is about the kingdom of God. And so who does the kingdom of God belong to and who belongs to the kingdom of God? So the, the larger theme here is about the kingdom. It's about salvation. It's about redemption. So those who belong to God and are under his sovereign rule, you know, when you think about sovereign rule, um, I, it was sad for me when Queen Elizabeth passed away. I mean, she's been the queen my entire life, and, uh, and I lived there for a little while, and, and I knew, so I knew how the people in Great Britain felt about her, and they, they, they all loved her, absolutely loved her. And the thing that I appreciated about it was the fact that she made no bones about it about Jesus, that she believed in Jesus Christ. And in fact, I heard one of her... Um, it was on tel television, one of her messages, she encouraged the people of England to make Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. Wow, so she, I, I respect that. And, and uh, we talk about her being sovereign, but the reality is she was sovereign not in the true sense. I mean, she was the leader, but she had very limited authority. I mean, see, you know, the people had the people chose the prime minister. The people voted people in con, uh, in the parliament, and uh, there were a lot of things she just didn't have authority over. It used to be kings had tremendous authority. I mean, they had the authority of life and death over somebody, and uh, and even today you have the tyrants, the dictators that. Uh, they can just have somebody killed at their own whim. But even those kind of sovereign people, they all have an expiration date on themselves because they're all going to die, every single one of them. But when it comes to God, when it comes to Jesus, there is no expiration date. So the word sovereignty, when applied to God, it's kind of a standalone kind of word that the full implication of what it means can really only be applied to God because he literally, you know, somebody might decide, have the authority to decide who's going to live or die as a dictator, but only God decides who's going to 
have a soul in heaven or in hell. Only God decides the eternal destiny of someone. No one else has that. Only God is sovereign of the entire universe. So he's a standalone sovereign. Don't, don't ever forget that. Don't mix him up with other sovereigns or those who claim that title. And um, so the question comes down to this, in my opinion. Who is in the kingdom of God? Who gets to be in that kingdom? Who does the kingdom of God belong to? And, and this is really the main emphasis through this whole section that we're reading. You, you see, the elite religious people, they, they followed the law and they followed all the rituals. And I want to tell you, it was all about the rituals. And even today, for the Jewish individuals, it's about the rituals. And, but they believed that they had earned the kingdom of God by their morality, by their strictness, by their rule keeping. They, they felt like they had earned the kingdom of God. And they felt like the kingdom of God belonged to them. And they even thought they had special favor. And they lorded that over other people. It's not uncommon to how a lot of people are even in our country. Hey, I'm a, I'm a member of church. I go to church. Uh, I've been baptized and uh, I give to the church. And so therefore, I'm in the kingdom because I've checked all the boxes off. But that's just not true. See, all those things about being a part of a church fellowship and and being faithful in giving and serving, all those things are a result of, not the cause for. It doesn't cause you to be saved. It's a result of your salvation. So all these religious guys, they thought they had earned the kingdom. And Jesus, of course, rocked their world. So here we have... This, um, this situation, this illustration, that um, basically the kingdom of God is for the child-like person who has achieved no morality yet, who's achieved no religion yet, who's not been able to even acknowledge their sinfulness uh, the person who's not, <laughs> they only obey because they don't want to get whooped on by their parents. And, uh, you know, there's a difference. When you're raising your kids, they learn to not do this, I get candy. Do that, I go to my room, losing my screen time. And, and you know, we have that kind of thing. But there's, there's a point, at some point, that you have to understand, that they begin to understand, oh, there, there's a right and there's a wrong. And they begin to have a conscience about that. And so when Jesus makes this statement, it kind of rattles the world a little bit. And so as we look at this, as we begin to think about, you know, Jesus had shown a lot of love for kids. He wasn't sentimental towards kids. He loved kids. 
I mean, he had shown that before, but he understood that they were also um, sinful. They were born as sinners, according to scripture. And, and Jesus back in Luke, uh, uh, he makes reference to them. Um, actually, Matthew, Matthew chapter 11, he makes reference to the kids in the marketplace. And uh, that's where, you know, activities would happen, like the funerals, the weddings. And the kids would actually play games in the marketplace where everybody gathered while their parents were shopping. The kids would play funeral and play funeral. And, and, and Jesus makes reference to that. It's almost like, you know, they get on your nerves. So Jesus understood that, but he loved these kids. He loved children, absolutely loved them. And he makes a huge statement in the gospel of Luke. But in spite of all that, of what the kids did, he embraced them in a very, very special way. In fact, when he entered into his triumphal entry, Jesus said it's the little children that praised him. So Jesus had a relationship with children that were clear, and the parents understood that. And uh, they knew that he loved their children. And, and they had seen a different side of Jesus as well. They saw the angry Jesus when he went into the temple and cleared it out. They, they heard the angry Jesus who dealt with the Pharisees, the religious people. So they, they knew about that, but they also saw this Jesus who healed people from diseases and he raised people from the dead and he made food appear to feed people that were hungry. And they heard him speak at times when he had a child, he was holding a child in his arms. So they understood that. So it wasn't unusual for them to, to go and take Jesus, the children to Jesus. You know, that's something that a Jewish father would do. He would take his child into the synagogue and there he would lay hands on his child. And then the synagogue leaders would come and lay hands on the child and they would pray blessings over that child. They pray for that child. <clears throat> and, um, actually some of those prayers or say, sayings, we, they're still in existence today. It's amazing, you know, for centuries, millenniums, that's been done. So that wasn't unusual for the parents to want to bring their children to Jesus. And that was very understandable because they cared about their kids. They cared about them accepting their faith. So Jesus the touch that he would have for them was just not a simple touch, but it was putting his hands on them in a manner that symbolized a blessing. In Mark 10, 14, um, well, well here's, what, here's what's happening. So let's go back to the verse again. Luke 18, 15, verse 15. One day, some parents brought the little children to Jesus, and little children, that meant babies. It could mean toddlers. Basically, a child who hadn't reached that age of understanding. We don't know what that age is. Um, it's different for each child. 
And they brought the little children to Jesus so he could touch, lay his hands on them, and bless them. But when the disciples saw this, they scolded the parents. Now, that's a compound verb right there. And anytime in the Greek when it's a compound verb, it's more intense. And so they scolded the parents. And they were indignant. They were, they were upset with the parents. And it's kind of like, don't y'all understand who this is? You know, keep your kids away. You know, the kids are always a trouble. And, and, uh, and, and Jesus, in, in Mark 10, 14, Jesus said when he saw this, uh, when he saw this, he, he, um, he basically summoned the disciples to him. And the words that were used were like indignant, angry. There's one interpretation that he was actually furious at the disciples. Imagine that. Jesus said to the disciples, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. Uh, they heard that voice before. <laughs> they, they knew when Jesus got serious with them. And, and Jesus, uh, you know, notice the disciples don't say anything else after that. <laughs> and, uh, and they just, I mean, Jesus got on to them. And this would have been done, you know, he didn't pull them aside and say, hey, guys, let's huddle up. You know, hey, don't do that anymore. No, he did this in front of everybody. He said, what are you, what is wrong with you guys? And, and so it was obvious that Jesus was really upset with them. And then Jesus makes an incredible statement, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. Now, this is very, very significant. First of all, the disciples were out of touch with the attitude of God. Totally out of touch. When you're not studying scripture, when you're not praying, you will get out of touch with God's attitude. And then you start reacting in your flesh. You, re you start reacting with your opinions. But when you're immersed in God's opinions, God's word, God's attitude, then you see things from God's perspective. And then you react and respond accordingly. Well, the disciples were out of touch with the attitude of God, and we do it all the time. And when we get out of touch with the attitude of God, then we re react inappropriately to situations. I wonder if there's something going on in your life right now that you're not looking for the attitude of God in that situation, and you're reacting in your attitude. Might be a good time to stop and think, wait a minute, what does God have to say about this? So here's what's very significant about what's happening. This is the only time in scripture ever that Jesus blesses non-believers. These children are not, not believers. They don't know to be a believer. This is the only time ever Jesus blesses non-believers. That's huge. 
He is saying this is a, he's basically establishing a special category of people. Because notice he says, the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. So he's talking beyond those kids that are there. And there's no caveats added to this. The kingdom of God belongs to these kids because they've been circumcised by their faithful parents. Doesn't say that. Kingdom of God belongs to these kids because they have Jewish parents. Doesn't say that. He said, the children like these. The kingdom of God belongs to those like these children. So what is that? I think Jesus is establishing a special category. Those who have not reached the age of understanding. The age of the ability to understand that they're sinners. We don't know what that age is. The Bible doesn't tell us. And I think it's different for each person. But he says, the kingdom of God is theirs. That's translated into salvation. Full impact of what I think this means? Any child, I think that's the category, any child, regardless of who their parents are, even if the parents are atheists, God has a special category for these kids that they have his kingdom. Wow. You know, a lot of you have experienced miscarriage. I think they're viable souls, human beings, and the kingdom of God is theirs. Some of you have kids you've never met, but you will when you go to heaven. A child that's been aborted. Theirs is the kingdom of God. A, a child that um, has disabilities and mentally can never, ever understand. I think they fall in this category because they never reach the age of understanding for them. They're not capable to understand. I think they fall in this category. That in the eyes of God, they're a child. And therefore the kingdom is theirs. This is a massive statement in what Jesus did right here. He is saying so much. And I want to tell you, this, this does not alleviate our burden of responsibilities as parents and grandparents. But it does mean that we prepare our kids for the day they do become accountable. That means we teach them truth. We teach them about, in fact, we're going to have communion in a moment. And what better way to teach who Jesus is? Now, I, I've really changed my mind about this. I, I used to always believe, no, kids cannot partake in communion unless they have made a decision about Christ and, uh, and they, can make, they can have communion then. 
But when I look at this verse and I apply this verse, I say, who am I to say no? I mean, what greater way for a parent to say, now we're going to take communion, let me tell you what it means. And the kids get that story in their heart and their mind, so when the day they reach that age of accountability, a light will come on, they say, oh, now I understand. So I guess what I'm saying is, it's up to you as an individual parent about that. But I don't have a problem with it. You come and say, I'm going to use this to teach my kids. I'm going to use this to explain to my kids who Jesus is. I remember my very first communion. Because in my church, when I grew up, most of you probably grew up this way, you couldn't take communion until you prayed to receive Christ. And I couldn't wait to be baptized so I could start, I could find out what this stuff tastes like. And... Um, <clears throat> My mom sang in the choir, so I, she never sat with me in church. And then my dad was a deacon and usher, so he never sat with me in church, you know, when he was doing that. And they were passing out communion, and my dad was helping to pass it out. And I'm sitting there by myself, and, and I remember exactly, I, I remember, it's just things get in your brain. And I remember exactly where I was sitting in church, and, uh, you know, standing here, I was sitting back over there. And the, the, offer, the communion came by, and I said, my dad's not going to have communion. So I took two of everything. And I was just sitting there faithfully holding it for when my dad came back so I could give him his. And I was so excited because that was my first time having communion. And I was sitting there, I got a little nervous and I, I spilt one and just went, you know, spilt all over my pants and everything. And then my dad came and sat beside of me. And just like that, I said, dad, I got you a communion thing, but I spilt yours. I wasn't going to give up mine. This was my first time, man. I wanted, and he said, that's all right, son. I already had one. I said, good. Now I don't have to fess up. <laughs> Jesus said, the kingdom of God belongs to them. In fact, he goes on to say, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Now, that, that doesn't say anybody who's not childish doesn't enter the kingdom of God. He's saying childlike. An innocence of, God, you did something for me I cannot do for myself. And I accept what you've done for me. So let me pray. As our men come forward, the way we do it here, uh, you come when you're ready. There are six different stations. You take, you know, as a family or as an individual or with some friends, you take communion, step to the side, pray together, take communion. You can set your cup in a basket up here. But make it a special moment. And even say to God, I'm coming to you with a childlike faith. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. And if you choose to bring your children, tell them what it means. Now, this bread represents the body of Jesus. And he died for you on a cross. And this juice represents his blood because that's how sin is forgiven. And this reminds us of what Jesus did for us that we could not do for ourselves. So let's pray.